According to the teaching of evolution, everything evolved from one form to another. If this is true, shouldn't we still see evolution happening today? And what about human beings? Are we evolving to a higher level? All we really see here is a distribution, but is it evolution? Of course not. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. Evolutionists make enormous claims about the origin of life and how everything came to be without a creator by continual chance processes. Yet this theory lacks credibility, and the general public is left with unsatisfactory answers of how this possibly could have happened. However, many who propagate evolution continue to insist that all living things, including humans, changed from one creature into another. They're also claiming that humans are still rapidly evolving. But how can this be? Please stay tuned for the next 15 minutes as we discuss the topic of modern human evolution. Evolutionists believe that humans are still rapidly evolving, and a number of articles have been written on this subject. However, as ICR biologist Frank Sherwin tells us, the type of evolution that secular scientists are referring to in these various news stories isn't evolution at all. In one article, for example, when the question is presented to an evolutionist, are humans still evolving, he answers, absolutely. One thing that creation scientists maintain, however, is what kind of evolution are we talking about? The macro evolution, the large change, the significant changes that we would expect to see? Or is there just minor variation? In the article regarding humans still rapidly evolving, all the creation scientists see as we read these articles in regard to alleged rapid evolution of humans is that there is minor variation that occurs, perfectly and completely compatible with the creation model. For example, some of the changes that have occurred are the advent of agriculture, new habitats, shifts in diet, climactic changes, these are all minor variations that is completely compatible with the creation model and does not in any way address vertical macro evolution, the fish to philosopher, particles to people, molecules to man type of transition. Dr. David DeWitt is professor of biology at Liberty University in Virginia. He says minor variations or changes within the genome can't possibly be evolution since these differences represent a loss of genetic function and not new information. There are a lot of genes involved in olfactory in our smell receptors that have clearly been deactivated. And this has happened, I believe, since the time of the flood or perhaps since the time of the fall. But those are changes that have occurred. The genes involved in production of red hair some believe that that's a result of a mutation. But even so, we're seeing changes in the percentage of the population that has red hair. It's been decreasing over the last several decades. The changes that we're seeing taking place almost in total are losses of information. So we have loss of being able to taste certain compounds or loss of being able to smell certain compounds, or loss of skin pigment resulting in lighter skin. These are all losses. They're decreases in information. Even though these small changes or losses of information are not transforming humans to some higher level, 
Evolutionists are using these variations as evidence that people are still experiencing the process of evolution. This is a very confusing point, I think, for a lot of people as to what it means for humans to be rapidly evolving. It does not mean that they have evidence for us descending from chimpanzee-like creatures, but it simply reflects the scientific fact that there are changes in gene frequency and some that can be selected for. For example, to have skin which bleaches white in the winter when there's low UV in Europe is crucial for vitamin D production. And so one of the evidences they had, one of the genes they showed change in was pigmentation genes in Europeans. Also importantly, from the three groups that they looked at, Europeans, Asians, and Africans, 20% of these alleged rapidly evolving genes were common to all three groups, which really shows how closely and how recently those three diverse geographic groups have had a common ancestor, which I would put at the time of the flood. So the subtle changes that are occurring today in different people are not due to macroevolution, nor are these minor variations capable of raising human beings to a higher form of life. The genes that they are talking about as rapidly evolving are genes related to skin color, bone structure, metabolism of certain carbohydrates such as lactose, fatty acids, alcohol. These are really, really small, subtle differences among people. And yet, for us to have evolved from ape-like ancestors, we've got to get genes for upright walking and increased cranial capacity. We've got to get major, significant changes. And they're excited about these little ones. If minor variations within the human genome aren't promoting an evolutionary change for the better, then why do secular scientists consider these differences a part of the evolutionary process? Frank Sherwin explains. The reason why the evolutionary community is so excited about seeing how man is supposedly rapidly evolving is because evolution is the only show in town. There is no alternative to man having evolved from some unknown, unobserved, ape-like ancestor allegedly four to six million years ago, depending on who you talk to. So therefore, with any kind of minor variation that occurs within the human population, the evolutionary naturalist has no recourse, they have no choice but to jump on that and say, this documents evolution, when in fact all it documents is minor variation. Secular scientists that believe minor variation in the human genome is a process of evolution study data from different groups of people living in different regions of the world. Dr. Kevin Anderson is a molecular biologist and director of Creation Research Society's Van Andel Creation Research Center in Arizona. He tells us how this genetic research is carried out. All they're really doing is they are taking certain characteristics in humans and they're just following the geographical distribution of them they're just they're just monitoring what changes have occurred in the human population as 
conditions change, as our diet changes, as our medicine changes and such. Okay, for example, dairy products such as milk contain the sugar lactose. And to have proper digestion of this lactose sugar, then the human requires the enzyme lactase. What evolutionists have done then is they've simply tracked the geographical distribution of people groups who have significant numbers of individuals that don't make this enzyme lactase. Now, from my perspective, it's not surprising that there would be a lot more people that lack making this enzyme in regions where dairy products are little, if any, consumed. And Dr. Anderson makes it clear that these types of changes are not connected to evolution. All we really see here is a distribution. Is it selection? Yeah, it's selection, but is it evolution? Of course not, at least not if we're going to define evolution something beyond just the superficial evolution is merely change. If we're defining evolution as actual common descent with modification, where you have to account for the origin of genes, you have to account for the origin of biological systems, then of course this is an evolution because no one is talking about the origin of the lactase enzyme. They're simply talking about its distribution and in this case also a mutation that knocks it out in certain individuals where they actually lose the enzyme. But what about the claim that the loss of certain genetic information actually benefits a person? Could this be considered an evolutionary advantage? Malaria, I don't know how many times evolution's appointed to sickle cell anemia as a beneficial mutation in human population. Well, it's beneficial in that the deformity that occurs to the red blood cell during sickle cell anemia keeps the protozoa that causes malaria from being able to interact or being able to survive in the red blood cell. So you're resistant to malaria. Okay, that's beneficial if you're in an area where there's a lot of malaria. But it's certainly beneficial at a tremendous cost because sickle cell anemia can kill it also. So you may not die of malaria when you're 10, you die of sickle cell anemia when you're 15. So again, if they point to that and say, this is how humans are evolving, we're evolving by losing these proteins, by losing these enzymes, by losing these capabilities. So that kind of evolution gets you the opposite direction of common descent very quickly. But that's exactly what they're monitoring. They're monitoring these types of changes that ultimately are resulting from loss of pre-existing systems. With the loss of genetic information and harmful mutations in our genome, it's plain to see that humans are not evolving to a higher level, but are in fact degenerating. But why is this happening? How is it that our bodies are running down instead of improving? Dr. Anderson reminds us that when sin entered the world, God's very good creation was marred. Well, it comes back to the degradation of the genome. As creationists, we maintain that after God created everything in its very good stage that he declared it, and then humans turned away from God and sinned, then there was a curse that entered in, and the creation itself then has been in a period of degradation, of wearing down, of, of degrading, and the human genome has been one of those that has just simply degraded. Mutations enter in, and they accumulate. The mutations don't make us fly. They don't make us run a mile in a minute. They don't make us run at 60 miles an hour. They do the opposite. They interfere with 
previous biological processes. They interfere with our ability to be as healthy. They interfere with our ability to be as strong. And these mutations slowly accumulate. But an even bigger problem than mutations and the degenerating human genome is that of our spiritual condition because of sin. Frank Sherwin tells us that only the Creator Himself is able to remedy the problem of sin that exists in each and every human being. It's not enough just to know that we have been created in God's image, but in fact that we can know who that Creator is through the person of Jesus Christ. We are all born into sin. We all have the problem with sin. That problem can only be solved through the person of Christ and what He did on Calvary 2,000 years ago. We at ICR would invite anybody listening who doesn't know the Christ of creation to come to Him and be marvelously and wonderfully saved. As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.